if globalization is is in your wheelhouse and that's a strategy, that's a tactic for you to reach your profitability and your revenue goals, regardless if you are a for-profit or non-profit organization, you have to think about speaking the language of your of your consumers, of your customers. I'm Salisa Steele. I'm Jeff Cobb, and this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Globalization is a strategy that makes sense for many learning businesses, and going global usually involves language services. This episode, number 354, features a conversation with Ingrid Christensen, president and founder of Inco International, a full-service language solutions company. Ingrid is also author of the book, The Language of Trust, Communicate to Build Meaningful Relationships in Business and Life. Salisa and Ingrid talk about what localization, globalization, translation, and interpretation are, and their role in diversity, equity, and inclusion. They also discuss trust as a necessary leadership skill and ways to build trust through one-on-one personal exchanges and in marketing materials and instructional materials. They also talk about credentials as signals of trustworthiness, feedback as a tool for nourishing trust, and using Peloton in a second language to get both a physical and a mental workout. Salisa and Ingrid spoke in March 2023. And so maybe just tell us a little bit more about Inco International, the work that it does, your role there. Just unpack that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So language services is kind of a big, juicy area. There's lots of things that fall into our industry. It's a little known fact that revenue-wise, we are larger than the global music business. So for being a bit of a hidden industry, we're actually quite, we're actually quite large. So I have kind of a random fell into my lap story of how I came into language services, but I, I I guess I had a knack for languages. I studied languages in college and had a an unfortunate job at a sports bar that I did not love and needed something more interesting and fulfilling. And this is while I was in college and I found a job at a local um, interpretation company in Minneapolis. And that really was my first kind of foray into language services. I didn't really know much about it. And long story short, that kind of led me into a career as a freelance Spanish interpreter. So I had to become certified as a medical and legal Spanish interpreter and worked freelance for about five or six years before deciding to launch my own company. So 17 years ago, actually in February, we just turned 17, I launched Inco International. I now have a staff of just about 20 individuals globally, and we serve mostly global corporations and organizations that need to, for one reason or another, provide documentation or training or any kind of service in another language. So the main kind of services that we offer under our umbrella fall under language services, and they are translation, interpretation, localization and globalization. And I'll kind of unpack that a little bit because they can be a little bit confusing because I think a lot of people don't have a ton of experience in this area. So 
Interpretation is anything that's spoken. So an interpreter would be like an interpreter you see at the United Nations or an ASL interpreter you see uh, at a concert or a medical interpreter that goes with a family to a medical appointment at a hospital or an interpreter that works in the court system or in the education system. That's a typical spoken interpreting solution. And then there's a written translation, which is anything written. That could be a website. It could be training material. It could be marketing material. It could be a legal contract, really anything that's written from one language to another. And then you kind of move up into this concept of localization. And localization is part of a general business strategy that is known as globalization. So I like to think of it as, say you have a product and you're going to take your product to Europe. Europe is a big area. There's lots of different languages spoken. So the act of taking your process there is your business strategy of globalization. Localization would be making sure that product looks, sounds, and feels appropriate for each of the different areas and languages spoken in Europe, right? So you may decide you need your content in Spanish and French and Italian and German or whatever other language you would need it in. So localization is really kind of pinpointing it for a specific culture, location, or or audience. And it's part of that bigger globalization umbrella. Well, thank you for walking us through those terms. And I do think it's very helpful and very practical now that, you know, interpretation, it's the spoken language, translation, it's anything written. And then you have globalization as sort of a bigger strategy and localization than sort of how you make things appropriate in particular mm-hmm. regions and areas. And I've been thinking, you know, over the last several years, it seems like that we've heard a lot more about diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility. And in preparing mm-hmm. to talk to you, it, it occurred to me that it feels like interpretation and translation and localization, that would have a place in these DEIA initiatives. And so I'm curious to A, get your thoughts on that and whether you agree with that. And then B, just knowing that you've had, you know, this these 17 years, I think you said, in, in working in the interpretation and language services area, you know, what changes have you seen during that time? Mm, those are two big questions. Yes, and a lot. <laughs> so, You know, to get at your first question, I do think that DEI, accessibility, belonging, all of these kind of of buzzwords have always been naturally embedded in the services that we provide, right? Our core value, our core purpose has always been to provide equitable access to communication and whether that communication be written or spoken, that's really the main purpose and the main reason why we survive and why we thrive and why we exist. So I do think it's really important to note that accessibility, access, and belonging really are embedded in the nature that language services is, right? Because in order to really make somebody feel like they belong and give them a seat at the table and make sure that they have access, equal access, they have to communicate. I can't think of a way to to provide somebody access to a program or solution or a product or service if they can't understand what it says or what, you know, what they're being told. So I really think that 
any language services at the root of what we do is all about accessibility and belonging and making sure that that those D, this is DEI in action is kind of what I like to say, right? These are the tangible things that an organization can do to walk the walk and talk the talk when they're really invested in DEI. And it can be a big effort and it could be a small effort. It really just depends on the particular organization and what their overall kind of overarching goals are. So yeah, I do think that you hit the nail on the head there that everything that we do is really embedded in accessibility. You know, when I think about this larger kind of DEIA umbrella, I like to think of it as it's a kind thing to do, right? It's a human thing to do to provide access. It's many ways and many times it's a legal requirement Mm -hmm. to provide access to information. And there are some statistics that prove that that up to 80% of consumers will not even consider buying your product or service if it isn't marketed and or sold to them in their native language. When there's so many options out there, as an organization, if you're really looking at expanding and having globalization as part of your business strategy, you need to speak the language of your customers, right? I mean, that that's also marketing. We need to talk to people like they want to be spoken to in a way that they can hear us, in a way that they can understand us. And I think that's really the nature of what translation and and interpreting is. We're grateful to Thinkific for sponsoring the Leading Learning Podcast. As a Leading Learning listener, you know the importance we place on reach, revenue, and impact for learning businesses. Thinkific Plus is a new generation platform purpose-built to help growing businesses scale revenue. With Thinkific Plus, you can generate monthly recurring revenue through course subscriptions and membership programs. Sell multiple seats for your learning products to a single buyer. Suggest additional products in the learning flow to increase sales. And go global with 0% transaction fees and payments accepted in over 100 countries. As one quick example, entrepreneur and business coach Ellie Diop uses Thinkific Plus for her Ellie Talks Money Academy. She's generated over seven figures in revenue and nearly 50,000 people purchased courses in her first year alone. Right now, Thinkific Plus is offering Leading Learning listeners one month free for a limited time. But that offer is only available if you go to our special URL. So go to thinkific.com slash learning to learn more and try out the platform. That's thinkific.com slash learning. And so then the second part of my sort of two-pronged, very meaty question was just around sort of what have you seen change in your years working in this field? And yeah, I would just be curious to know, are you seeing more demand or different kind of demand? Or what would you characterize as sort of the major shifts or changes? I would say that for a lot of organizations, when before it was a nice to have, now it's a must have. Organizations that want to and need to compete on a global scale must by nature have a comprehensive language access program built in from day one. You know, when you think about how we have, as consumers, we have access to any product, any service at our fingertips, right? And when, you know, if you remember that that stat I just dropped, it's like 80% of consumers are not going to buy something in a language they don't understand. So if globalization is in your wheelhouse and that's a strategy, that's a tactic 
for you to reach your profitability and your revenue goals, regardless if you are a for-profit or nonprofit organization, you have to think about speaking the language of your consumers, of your customers. Now, yes, have I seen the, the industry change? For sure. Like when I started, we barely had email and we barely had internet, right? I mean, I used to work out of stacks of dictionaries all around me and you know, our clients would courier us a document to translate, you know, we'd type it out, print it out and courier it back. Well, obviously we don't have to do that anymore. So that's one way that technology has really enabled us to do our work faster with more clarity and more consistency. I think we as Inco International as an organization, we really, we embrace technology because I think technology is our friend. It only allows us to do our job better and faster and smarter. We've had access to different machine translation solutions along the way, different machine translation kind of protocols, translation protocols and different programs that we've had access to. And our technology enablement has just exploded over the past 10 years. And the affordability has really made it much more accessible to all organizations and organizations of all sizes. So I would say that just like every industry, technology has just shifted and changed 100% the way that we do our work. I could also talk about how languages kind of ebb and flow depending on migration, how migration comes and goes, how refugees come and go certainly that has affected the different language volumes that we see access to, for example. That's another big way that our industry has changed. And, you know, I could kind of go on and on and nuanced, but there's lots of, there's lots of changes and I don't think they're going to stop, right? They're going to keep coming. Given your depth and breadth of experience with language services, I'm, I'm curious too to know, are there typical missteps or misconceptions that organizations have around sort of language services? Any insight there to share with us? I think so. I think thinking that it's something that's a one and done solution, it's not. I think that our content is constantly changing. I know my content, even on our website, is constantly changing, which that would require constant update in your localization and translation process. The other thing I think that especially global organizations need to remember and or slash seize the opportunity is the value in globalization and how localization really fits into the larger business strategy and understand that it is a very powerful revenue driver if done correctly and understanding that it requires constant kind of nourishment and constant focus and attention so that so that you get it right. So I would say that thinking that it's a, you know, a quick fix, no, it's not just like anything, right? And thinking that, you know, it's kind of a one and done activity. I think that it requires constant attention, just like any other business strategy. Yeah, I do hear you using the word strategy repeatedly and thinking about language services as a strategic part of what your learning business is doing makes a lot of sense. And then also, I think, you know, hearing you speak to the fact that usually this fits with an organization's mission. I mean, if you're really out there to serve learners, making sure to speak their language literally um, is really yeah. important. So great. And I know that you've recently published a book called The Language yeah. of Trust. So I'd love to kind of pivot a little bit 
and talk about that book. And maybe let's start by talking about what's the relationship between these language services and interpretation, which we've just been talking about, and trust. Thank you for that. Yeah. So the language of trust has kind of been a lifelong seed that was planted in the back of my head that finally came to fruition. So it's been a a big project, a fun project. So when I think about anecdotally and the research that I completed when writing this book, I think about the number one way to cultivate and nourish trust is through communication. I think when, especially you're communicating with somebody in a different language, trust-based communication is even more vital. One, you have to make sure that you're actually understood, right? You can't even begin to build a trusting relationship with somebody if you can't be on the same level of understanding. And two, I think that translation and interpreting provide a base level of comfort, knowing that you're providing accurate and consistent language and vocabulary. And it shows that the organization in general is attempting to even gain the trust of the people that they're trying to work with, right? So I I think that for me, at least, speaking to somebody in a language that they understand with words that they can understand is the most human form of trust-based communication that I can find. And it's really, really vital, I think, for organizations, especially learning organizations, that when they're trying to impart some knowledge from one person to another, making sure that they're doing so in a way that is understandable and accurate and consistent is vital to building that trust-based relationship. If we want to cultivate trust as a leader in an organization, what does that look like? What are some concrete ways that we can establish and maintain trust? So I think that first and foremost, recognizing the importance of trust, right? Recognizing that it's something to be valued and something to do to focus on. And I think that this is going to sound pretty similar to what a lot of other people (laughs) say about a lot of things in life, but for trust creation to flourish and nourish, we have to stop to take time to think and reflect. We have to take time to learn. We have to take time to listen and communicate effectively. We have to lead with listening. We have to commit to really open and honest and vulnerable communication. And we have to meet people where they are. So a lot of this isn't rocket science. It's just slowing down, taking the time to number one, reflect, right? And then really committing to carving out time to cultivate and nourish trust with the people that matter most to you. Whether you're working on building trusting relationships with your coworkers, with your family, with friends, with clients, with customers, all of these different kinds of pockets of people that touch this web of life that we lead, all of those individuals, if they're important to us, they're deserving of our trust. And we ought to, I believe, spend time in quality trust, nourishment, and creation. And I think, finally, is do what you say you're going to do, right? There is nothing that, that, tr- that creates trust as much as 
being consistent and accountable. And when you say you're going to do something, actually do it. Whether you're providing a product or service or you're giving feedback to your employees or your team members, you know, that act of accountability really shines because you're walking the walk and you're talking the talk. You're doing both things. And that is, for me, the number one, based on the research or individuals that I research, that's the number one way to to create trust. That makes a lot of sense. A, that it takes time and energy and effort to, yeah. to cultivate the trust. And then and B, that just it does come down to, in many ways, just the relationship with individuals. And so I'm thinking, you know, we have learning business leaders who, you know, have the team that they're working with and the people that they're managing, even customers, as you said. And so there are these opportunities for one-on-one exchanges or even small group exchanges where you can create trust, continue trust. But I'm also thinking of learning businesses having a lot of less direct opportunities to potentially create trust. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking about learning experiences where there might be the course materials that go along with an in-person seminar or materials that accompany a, a conference session or just the content that goes into an online e-learning course. So when you think about those sort of, you know, more those products and sort of more of an indirect relationship or sort of channel for creating trust, do you have thoughts on how that might work and what trust might look like in those contexts? I do. I've thought a lot about trust especially in relation to a very digital world that most of us are used to, right? We're much less interactive in person than we've ever been before. And certainly I love e-learning and I love the different learning platforms that are out there because it's easy and it's quick and you don't have to drive across town or fly across the country to take courses. But there is that added challenge of how do you really truly authentically engage with your audience? How do you garnish and cultivate trust with them. And I understand that, that kind of dilemma, that's right, the push and pull. So some of my tips and tricks for this are, is whenever possible, look for opportunities to engage before, during, and after. And I know that's hard, but when you're creating content, can you build in engagement even before a course starts Maybe there's engagement opportunities during, maybe there's moments to pause, maybe there's moments to reflect, maybe there's moments to, within the platform, engage with other students or other participants in the program. And after, how can you build in touch points after the program to really keep that engagement and keep that communication and conversation going? Another way that I have found based on my research that's really great for building trust and nourishing trust is something simple as credentialing, taking the time to become credentialed and certified and showing your credentialing as a proof point that you can be a trusted advisor or a trusted educator. I think there's something to be said about licensing and credentialing that is really important for students to be able to, you know, quote unquote, trust the master. I think a third way is really clear and concise documented processes. Nobody likes to document processes any more than I do. Like it's not my favorite activity, but there's something really important when you show somebody what they're going to learn, you teach them, and then you remind them of what they learned. It's almost like the human brain needs to see what they're going to, you know, tell them what you're going to tell them. 
tell them and then tell them what you told them. And it's the series of repetitions that I think is really important. And of course, there's as educators, I'm sure your listeners are a million times stronger and, and more educated than I am as far as learning comprehension. But I think it comes back to that basic nature of, you know, tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them, and then tell them what you told them. So as much as possible, building in those opportunities for engagement, credentialing, and really outlining the process. And as much as possible, you know, practice the different opportunities to lean into different senses, even though we're, you know, audio and video, like what else could we add into a learning platform to engage some of the other senses? You know, we can show vulnerability through our words and through our actions and our body language, but how else can we kind of build in those trust points? And then certainly ask for feedback. I don't know of a better way to kind of help push that trust development along the line, except for feedback. I think that's something that's really important. Well, thank you for that. This is the Leading Learning Podcast. So we always like to make sure when we have a guest on to ask about their own practices and habits or sources for their own continued lifelong learning. So Ingrid, tell us a little bit about how you approach your own lifelong learning. Thank you. One of my my personal values is every day I strive to be a better version of myself. And so I do carve out time, purposeful time daily to strengthen my own education and knowledge, whether that's reading, whether that's reflection, whether it's I'm listening to podcasts, whether it's writing. I spend a lot of time writing. There's something about the act of writing that I think reinforces knowledge within me. I also think that engaging in new and fun things to work the brain in a different way is for me has been a bit of a shift. I think as I move into this next stage of my life, like what else can I learn in different ways to keep the mind fresh and active? I live in Minnesota. It's a terrible winter and we have zero sunlight and it's freezing and we're buried under like a million feet of snow. But this winter I decided that I was going to get off of the couch at least one day a week And I took an improv class and it was something that was super fun. And I laughed and got me out of the house and got me thinking and got my brain working in a different way. I'm certainly not going to become a comedian or professional improv artist, but it was fun and it was different. And so I constantly ask myself, how can I build these opportunities into my life? Even if it's in just short snippets of really leaning into learning and becoming a better version of myself. And I think, especially when there's different seasons of life and recognizing that we need to honor each of those different seasons and really what works for us at every different kind of point in time. Given your background and your professional life, I'm curious, do you do some of your reading and learning in Spanish or in some other language, or do you tend to do it mostly in English? I do. Okay, this is going to sound a little cheesy, but... During the pandemic, I jumped on the Peloton, whatever, trend, just like everyone else, because I couldn't go to the gym, not just like, but a lot like other people. And I try to take classes in Spanish just because it's fun and because it works my brain in a different way. 
I think I try to listen to music in Spanish. I try to watch some of my Netflix binging <laughs> and Spanish spoken TV shows and programs because I think it's really important for my brain to keep that to keep the language up. So, yeah, it's fun and um, makes me think a little bit more. Ingrid Christensen is president of Inco International and author of The Language of Trust. You'll find links to Inco International and to Ingrid's author site in the show notes for this episode at leadinglearning.com slash episode 354. Jeff and I would be grateful if you would rate the Leading Learning Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, especially if you find the show valuable. Those ratings help us show up when people search for content on leading a learning business. Go to leadinglearning.com slash apple to leave a rating. And please spread the word about leading learning. You can do that in a one-on-one conversation with a colleague or a personal note, or you can do it through social media. In the show notes at leadinglearning.com slash episode 354, you'll find links to connect with us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Thanks for listening and see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast. Podcast.